and welcome to another fabulous episode of Cisco Champions Radio. I'm Lauren, your moderator, and we have on top Tim Zagetti talking about taking intent-based networking to the IoT edge. Tim, who are you? What do you do? Give us a quick, <laughs> quick, who are you? Yeah, who are you? <laughs> who am I? I wonder that often uh, many times. So uh, usually I'm on a couch when I discuss that, but it's nice to be seated in a booth. Uh, I'm <laughs> Tim Zagetti. I've been with Cisco for 20 plus years. I'm a principal technical marketing engineer. And I'm working in the IoT business unit. I've spent the previous five years working on DNA and many years before that working on QoS. So I had a lot of fun, uh, done a lot of things, and this is the latest challenge we're tackling right now. Awesome. Thank you. This will be a high-quality service of service <laughs> podcast. Okay, I'm just going to stop trying to make a bad pun. We also have Cisco champions Malcolm and David. Malcolm, quickly, who are you? What are you doing? Uh, I'm Malcolm Budden. Uh, as you can tell, I'm not from the US, I'm from the <laughs> Scotland, uh, so hopefully everybody can understand me. Uh, I'm a network architect uh, slash consultant working for a pharmaceutical, a global pharmaceutical company. David. Ah, no, me, right. Yay. Well, I'm certainly not from Scotland. <laughs> uh, well, my name is David Penalaza, I'm a Cisco champion, I'm all the time just well, just making a lot of noise on social media. I work for Verizon as a uh, consulting engineer. And right now I'm supporting, well, SD-WAN on, on big enterprises. Awesome. All right, so Tim, just to kick us off, intent-based networking, IBM, what is it in like in 30 seconds? In 30 seconds. Yes, okay, cool. I'll time you. I'll do my best. So there, with, whenever you're giving instructions for something, you got two ways that you can do it. One way is called an imperative model, where you spell out every last detail. Imagine if you're hopping in a cab and you want to go to the airport. You can say, driver, turn here, go half a mile, turn there, go two miles, etc. And you give every last detail. That's the imperative model. In contrast, we use a declarative model in intent-based networking, where we just state what is our business intent? What is the result that we want to have delivered? You say to the driver, take me to the airport. I don't care what route you choose. I don't care the little decisions you make along the way. Just deliver me that result. So we brought that declarative model to the world of networking. You don't have to, as an administrator, focus on all the CLI and all the commands and all the details of the policy. You just say, hey, I want these people to be allowed to talk to this application and go make it happen. Automate it, scale it, treat my entire network as a single programmable entity and then show me that my result has been delivered. That's so just say, make it so. Make it so. Yeah, That's a pretty great much way to summarize yeah, it. Just, just do it. And yeah. whatever the way you do it doesn't matter. Just make it happen. Don't bore me with the details. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that's it. It's not micromanaging. It's just, just let me know when it's done, and that's awesome. Okay, good. So we have been discussing in a previous cha uh, Cisco Champion episode about IoT and about how do we extend this IBM to the to the edge, to the IoT edge specifically. We had some announcements made today on Cisco Live. Yep. And they would like to just bring all this up because it's it's not only that we can really design something and make it look amazing and then you know in ppt it looks fantastic and the colors are incredible and you know in the, in the keynote you see all the lights and music but really how do we use it what are we going to do with this right yeah. these are great questions so in uh, barcelona we released a ruggedized switch that for the first time was running iOS XE, which is exactly the same operating system that you're running in your Catalyst switches in the in the data center in the campus, your Catalyst 9K family, 93, 94, 95, everything. And we released a ruggedized router 
an IR1101 ISR router that's also running iOS XE. So these platforms have the same programmable interfaces, they support NetConf, Yang, and everything else that we need to really enable intent-based networking in non-carpeted workspaces. So you can take these to uh, warehouses, distribution centers, ports, or outsourced in parking lots to run IP video surveillance or things like that. And so going beyond the data center with all the same capabilities, they can manage it with uh, Cisco DNA Center. You don't have to have a separate pane of glass. It really simplifies your entire IT uh, intent-based networking journey to be able to not be bounded by the physical locations of your carpeted workspace. So basically, you can run iOS XE uh, everywhere. On, uh, everywhere. Well, yeah, on, yeah. On devices, you know, you can dunk in water or shoot with like power washing. Yeah. Yeah, well, we pretty much like look at my amazing programmable blender. So it's up to you, right? <laughs> so okay, so so what are the this? Is, I'm kind of curious about it. Like up to which level we can then implement all these, let's say functions, right? What 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 is supported? What really can we squeeze from it? Because I can have the software running, but what is supported on it? Until which level I can really make them my toys and, and try to put all these juicy features there? Well, again, it's all running the same software. So the the functionality and features you have in your enterprise catalyst switches, for instance, support like software defined access, that's a huge new uh, breakthrough technology. And it's vital for segmentation, which is, I think the strongest use case for segmentation is IoT. Yes. Because IoT devices by their nature are typically not designed with a lot of inherent security. They're easily compromised. They're usually the first footprint of an attack. And as soon as they're compromised, the first thing they do is they start reconnaissance. They start trying to talk to everybody they're able to talk to. And if you can't contain that, then that breach has grown. So the more effectively you can then have these devices securely, logically mm -hmm. contained, the more uh, stable your security posture is, the more available your operations are, everything. And and these devices support that right out of the box. They're SDA ready. So you can use the same tools in DNA Center mm -hmm. to define your virtual networks or to have your discrete micro-segmentation policy, which is based on mm -hmm. Cisco TrustSec technology, mm -hmm. uh, scalable group tags. And you can have very discrete levels of policy easily expressed and deployed. That's excellent because a lot of people says like DS in IoT is for security and well. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so uh, Tim, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, uh, you know, the development of this new portfolio. Is there a specific type profile of customer uh, in scope and um, what kind of business benefits and is, are these products bringing sure. that weren't there before that you think that the customers can benefit from? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Let me talk about um, the latest, um, first of all, an, an access point that was released this morning and it was shown on the, the keynote by uh, Liz Santoni, our SVP. It's called the Cisco IW6300 Heavy Duty and it's designed for hazardous environments. So it's a class uh, one, division two certified um, component and therefore it could go into places like refineries. And a, an example case study is that we worked with Suncor and also partnered with Emerson, Emerson, and they have an expansion module that fits right into it so that we provide not only 
802.11ac wave 2 Wi-Fi to the entire facility so that workers can monitor whatever they instruments they're monitoring and then enter information into their uh, tough books, which is kind of like a variant of what we consider our tablets and iPads. But they also, because of this Emerson uh, module, it runs Heart, which basically can track the RFID for all the real-time locations of the workers. So this enables them to know where everyone is, especially during complex times like shift changes and turnarounds. And oh, heaven forbid, like if there was a disaster, they would know exactly who might be, who is in the area, where exactly they are, and then get to them faster. They've estimated that this technology, this combination of technology, saves companies about half of the uh, safety incidents. It lowers their safety incidents by half and saves them about $15 million in an average size plant. So some real tangible, valuable benefits. And if I may, another uh, amazing case study that uh, we recently had was with the city of New Orleans. And they're also here on site at Cisco Live. They have an interactive display. They had a lot of crime, um, you know, notably up to 2016, and they're like, we're going to do something about it. So they deployed our uh, IR routers throughout the city, over 400 of them, and they enabled over 500 cameras, and they have a real-time crime center, and the results are staggering. They've had now their lowest murder rate in nearly 50 years. They're all the way back down to 1971 rates. They were able to achieve that much impact in overall security by leveraging our IoT technologies. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. It's, it's really sad that the whole thing, I mean, the whole podcast right now is only audio because then you would see Tim just, you know, <laughs> touching all the devices and showing you like with his hands and the whole thing is like, look all the modules, look how yeah. can I can take it out. This is an I brought my toys for, with me. Yeah, yeah this is an ad it. for his tech field day video that will that is later this week. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Which will be on the internet by the time people are listening to this. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. So yeah. for instance, in tech field day, I want to mm -hmm. take this unit here. This is our mm -hmm. industrial ethernet. 3400 series switch that's heavy duty. It's the same switch as uh, I have here that's been ruggedized, but it doesn't look like a switch at all. There's no RJ45 ports. These ports are called M12 connectors. They're circular connectors with 12 millimeter threads. And this thing is IP67 rated, which means that it's water and dust resistant to the point where, you know, you can put it through a hurricane and it will still operate. So a very reliable system. In fact, we have one of these on display in the back and they're shooting water at it all day. So at the tech field day, I want to do something similar, but they told me that water won't show up well on video. So the first <laughs> thing I did when I got off the plane was headed to the nearest Walmart and I bought three gallons of blue Gatorade because that's what they recommended oh. for visual effects. So you can like, see the collar. I know, right? But the guy's like, man, you're seriously down on your electrolytes. You have to stock <laughs> up on that much Gatorade. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, so what, uh, what kind of uh, use case with this particular switch? What would you connect to it? Yeah, absolutely. So this is very much designed for manufacturing environments. So industrial, any type of industrial automation. And so you wouldn't have, in these environments, uh, you wouldn't have to have a separate cabinet. You wouldn't have to have um, additional uh, protection because they're, they're, Extreme temperature ranges, electromagnetic immunity is built in, um, also um, radiation uh, protection and, and tolerance. All of this has been engineered into the hardware of the product itself. So it's ultra reliable, extremely high uh, mean time between failures, MTBF, 
and therefore it's built for that type of heavy duty environments like any type of manufacturing or industrial or automation uh, systems yeah. Um, yeah what about what about wireless right because there are some considerations in wireless when you have an, an when, when you have an industrial deployment yeah. you might have interferences and yeah. you might have also the devices being affected but all the other well big machines just around generating any kind of well Noise. So, exactly. uh, do, do you have any? Uh, uh, it's ruggedized. I'm pronouncing it properly. Yeah, and if I could just add, uh, yes. like a, a question to David's is, um, we mentioned Y Heart, uh, Wireless yeah. Heart, yeah. Uh, very briefly. So, my understanding is that the benefits that that kind of brings is that um, instead of you know in industrial plants, uh, historically you would have challenges around delivering I don't know fiber out to the site in the chemical plant. So yes. With the, with the architecture of Y Heart, uh, which is effectively a meshing technology, that's right. Um, you can connect Y Heart enabled sensors. That's right. To the Y Heart network across mm -hmm. the site, and then that would then be transferred onto the Ethernet via the Y Heart gateway that, yeah. that connects to the AP. Yeah. So yeah. our actually our AP yeah. is the Y Heart gateway. Right. So then this expansion module drills right onto the back of this AP, like I'm showing you the photo. Yeah. And, and as such, we provide the backhaul for it. And so we provide our, our um, 802.11ac Wave 2 network, as well as then we provide the backhaul for the Y-Heart network or the ISA 3100 uh, network, or we could do other networks. We haven't supported this at FCS, but, you know, uh, Bluetooth, uh, low energy or Zigbee or other things yeah. like that. And then we're the gateway and the backhaul as well as providing yeah. uh, AC to the same environment. So we're playing multiple roles mm -hmm. and to bring that technology full resilient mesh into these very hazardous uh, environments provides a lot of operational benefits in safety benefits, uh, as well as just uh, improving the data that you're able to extract from these environments. Yeah, so that an example of that would be like uh, in a in a manual manufacturing process where if uh, I don't know that something was about to fail yeah, within the process, that's right. uh, previously a, a, an OT engineer would need to go to that location in the plant, uh, check the equipment manually. Uh, and if they do that now, you know you can potentially tell that the engineer is in that uh, in that part of the build in that part of the building, um, and I guess you could probably even monitor the performance of the sensors to be able to tell if something's going to fail. For That's example, proactive yeah. proactive monitoring. You're exactly in the right path. So basically, if you look at how people have done operations in the past, they would walk around with clipboards and yeah. be checking sensors every few hours, okay? Mm -hmm. And then early efforts of digital transformation, and yeah. I'm using air quotes here, would be then to replace the, the pencil and pad clipboard with an iPad type of device or a tough pad device. And then they'd go and they'd check the monitor <laughs> and they'd enter it in. And it's like, okay, that's a nice step forward. But if you automate that sensor and make it an IoT sensor that is feeding real-time data constantly, then you save that manual operation that's sporadic and it's time-consuming and it's potentially dangerous. And then you're getting this streaming data. And then the third, like there's three main phases to IoT deployments. First is the main, just the basic connectivity, secure connectivity. I really want to emphasize secure connectivity. Then remote monitoring and control. Once you've made that connection, there's all this possibility. Now we can remotely monitor these sensors without sending someone there. And then the third phrase is you're set up now, you have tremendous amount of data. Now if you analyze those yeah, data... Perform analytics. Can, yep. Exactly. Uh, and you can see 
uh, cognitive analytics, what's going on, and even what you're alluding to, predictive analytics. Yeah. I see this condition and that condition all forming, and I know that a failure is imminent, so I'm going to remove that device and swap it out before it fails, yeah. because in these environments, even a minute of downtime could be Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. That that's where you get the return on there investment, you right? So you, you might have to invest in the technology, but if you compare that against uh, wait until the process, a manufacturing process fails, and if it's out to two minutes, an hour, whatever that costs, that could potentially cost millions to the oh, organization, absolutely. hundreds of thousands, millions, whatever, to the organization because the process isn't isn't actually operating. Where if you can replace it proactively, you can you know plan for that uh, to, to happen at a, at a uh, suitable time to the business. Yeah, yeah. and that, I'm going to come back to that because you raised sure. a really important point too. And the other point I want to make is that uh, in our dealings with, for instance, this uh, use case with Suncor, as I shared, they're estimating $15 million of operational savings a year just from the technology. They ROI'd and they returned on their investment within four months. So you don't even have to wait to these extreme scenarios, but that is all added benefits and added operational savings when you can do predictive uh, failure detection and proactive uh, maintenance of it. Now, the, the other point that you, you touched at the end is to be able to swap out or plan for swap out devices before they go bad. This is actually an area where um, one of the challenges for IT working with OT mm. operational technology uh, people such as plant managers, we're encouraged to learn to be bilingual. So here's a, maybe a funny anecdote to illustrate what I mean by that is that we as IT people always want to upgrade our software. It's like, okay, get the latest software. It's got the best features. It's got the latest security. And it's, it's, we update the software. We don't think about it. In fact, that's a great thing. In operational technology, they're like, no, we don't want to change anything. It's working. Don't touch it if it's working. And I, I see no benefit into upgrading software. So just leave it alone. And so one example we had where a person wanted so mildly to upgrade the software on their APs, but the plant manager just wasn't getting it. He's like, saying, no, I'm not going to let you upgrade the software. He goes, oh, okay, but you got to give me some planned maintenance window to change the air filter on the AP. There's no air filter yeah. on an AP, yeah. but the fact that, um, you know, an operational technology guy is like, yeah, I understand that we need to change filters to keep the machines running and operational. He completely understood that, gave him the window. He, he just used the window to upgrade the software, but <laughs> it's just an illustration of we have to learn to understand each other's priorities, speak each other's languages, and then work together. OT has to define the requirements, yeah. but then IT can partner with them to deploy and operationalize those requirements. Yeah, and that's that's more of an industry thing rather yeah, than like, absolutely. like you know, particular to Cisco or the products. You know, it's yep. uh, historically uh, OT networks have been managed by the OT staff that's and IT. Right. And it's scary. It's scary <laughs> yeah. because these networks are huge layer two networks. They have a lot of broadcast traffic. And from an IT perspective, you're like, that's just a horrible accident waiting to happen. Whereas like we we know also the like 
from an OT perspective, to connect an IoT device, they just think of it as like, hey, I'm just plugging in something to a power and, and yeah. it's like a junction box I'm adding. They don't realize all the threat implications of adding an IP-enabled device to their networks and then suddenly that becomes another potential backdoor for attacks on their plants. Yeah, I mean, and that, yeah. that, that, that could potentially be an endpoint that somebody has developed an in-house uh, bespoke application yeah. still for IoT purposes, for example. Yep. So, it's an attack yeah. vector. Yeah. It happened so already in the past. There were, I remember there was a case of one company was hacked because the, there was an IP and it was a thermometer, something yeah. like that. It yeah. was like ridiculous. It's something that you are really not, not, not really considering. And some, yeah. some, I mean, imagine you need to tell your boss we have been hacked because our thermometer was, you know, connecting to the internet. Like yeah, what? Absolutely. <laughs> or for instance, three months ago, a company in Norway called Norsk Aluminum, which was one of the world's largest manufacturers of aluminum. All their operations were held for ransomware, and they had to revert to manual operations. It cost them $52 million in this attack. And it was the first of its kind because it didn't go after stealing information. It didn't go after infosec theft. It went after disrupting operations. And so really then realizing the impact, and even the world price of aluminum rose as a result of this one specific attack. So that's really um, heightened the awareness of the need for a proper uh, security segmentation in these OT environments. And that's what we offer with our product portfolio. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. I, I have another question, right? Sure. Because we were discussing this before and then I, it, it just got, you know, uh, just maybe aside because we wanted to discuss all the IBM stuff and what are the benefits, but I have a thing with the word rugged dice. Exactly rugged what dice. exactly you, you oh, mean yeah. with it, right? What are the yeah. benefits? First, what the word is and yeah. then like what it means for us. Like. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> so for instance, ruggedizing means taking hardware and allowing it to, for instance, live in places that have a wide range of temperatures. So for instance, these switches that I'm holding, they can, they don't have to be in an air conditioned data center. They can survive in temperatures as low as minus 40 Celsius or oh. minus 40 Fahrenheit, which happens to be the same, <laughs> or as high as 75 degrees Celsius in the, in the uh, aspect of this um, IE3400H that I'm holding, 60 degrees Celsius for these other ones. And so how do we do that? Like we, we start from component selection because mm -hmm. there's different grades of um, electronic components. There's consumer, there's industrial, there's automotive, there's military, even space level components, right? So we uh, start with that selection. Also then, you'll notice something is that anything that's designed to be indoors, even the enclosure, the enclosure of all of these is also a heat sink. There's no fans and no moving parts in these devices. So that actually gives them a very high mean time before between failure, MTBF. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's no moving parts. Well, then how do we get rid of heat when it's extremely hot? The whole enclosure is a heat sink. It's made to dissipate. And even something as, as detailed as this, the units that are designed to be indoors, you'll notice are all black because mm -hmm. black radiates the most heat. Mm, yes. Whereas any unit here, like this uh, IE3400H or the new access points that are designed to be outdoors are all white. Why? Because they want to reflect solar energy, you know, and not absorb it. Whereas this is indoors, it doesn't have that concern. So again, even little details like this are incorporated uh, into the designs. Mm. Okay, you, you were playing with some boxes before. There was another router you were touching. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious because you were, 
you know, you were taking some <laughs> things in and out, and I wanted exactly to know what you were doing there. It looks yeah. like a module, but what do we get with this? Yeah, so uh, this is an IR1101 router. This is a ruggedized ISR. So everything your ISR can do, this can do too. So that you can use this for your for SD-WAN and have it in remote locations uh, like ATMs or kiosks or anything, you know, mm -hmm. out there. Or even uh, other ruggedized routers go in mobile um Uh, mobile environments. I'll give you an example right here at Cisco Live. If you open your Cisco Live app, you'll notice that you can, your Cisco Advance app, you can... Open uh, roaming, right? No, it's no an open shuttle roaming? tracker. Okay. Shuttle tracker. You want to take a, a tracker, you want to take a shuttle to a given uh -huh. hotel, it'll tell you uh, from where you are You know, where the next shuttle is, you can see on a map where all the shuttles are and the estimated time that it's going to come to you and be arriving there. Why? Because it's one of our IR routers, not this one, it's another one, that is actually sitting buckled into one of the seats and it's on the shuttle bus and it's transmitting, it's providing Wi-Fi to the passengers on board. But in addition to that, it's sending its GPS location. It's just awesome. Right? And then it's giving <laughs> us a whole new user experience because there's one thing to wait for a bus and another thing to wait and know exactly how long before it's going to be there. So really transformative in your yeah, abilities. It's a, it's a totally different way to deliver the experience to the user. Yeah. Because then you're, you're taking care of all these small details just to, to make it completely different. And then, well, because I, I do believe that then our focus is how the users, the user will, the users, sorry, will perceive the service we're providing. Yeah. Because the users don't care about, well, which kind of box you have and if it's had cute colors or not and if you can replace it or not. They honestly yeah. care about the service being delivered. And if I'm not, you know, loading Facebook or Twitter so fast, right? Yeah. This is the, the main concern, right? It's just knowing your audience. It's true. And so this actually came about from another use case, a customer. It was TransLink. I'm from Vancouver, Canada, and that's our major bus company, uh, if you will, Subway and all that. And so they have uh, Cisco IR routers on 200 of their buses. Why? Because they wanted the users to have Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Yeah, that right? was, that was that going to be was, my question. That so, was the starting yeah. point. But very quickly, that single network has become five networks on every single bus. So there's a network to monitor all the mechanics. There's a, all the mechanical operations, oil pressure, fuel levels, this, that, wow. the other thing. Oh, wow. The <laughs> ticketing systems has got their own separate network. A passenger counter has a separate network. They have video surveillance for safety, a separate network. And then finally, the guest Wi-Fi, right? So just basic connectivity quickly blossoms. And then they also then have this available to their customers to show via an app, when is your next bus coming? And so, again, we've transformed the customer experience to something that's completely new, uh, novel, starting with connectivity and building on that. And then where do we go next? And that's, well, we got is that data. delivered via the, the segmentation over the WAN that was referred to in the keynote this morning? So, for example, you would have like an IoT... We have, uh, VRF or whatever. Over well, we there. have an IoT router, and these are actually using a cellular uh, technology for their backhauls. Yeah. But we could do this with uh, SD WAN as so well. So that's yeah. That was was it? Is it delivered via SD WAN or traditional kind of WAN connectivity? That or? is actually using a different management solution called uh, Cisco Kinetic Gateway Management yeah. okay. uh, Module GMM. Yeah. However, you know, for these other use cases, uh, SD WAN is uh, is another option gotcha. that's available. That one just suited their particular use case yeah. and it's more tailored to that and so um, that's why they chose that one 
Got it. Okay, so has been really uh, an interesting session. This awesome. Oh, thank just you guys. Okay. All, the, all the toys you can play with. I got one last question. Okay. I didn't want to interrupt earlier. Uh, for the Vancouver bus with the five separate networks, yeah. why do they need a separate one for ticketing and passenger counting? Because okay. I would assume that like the tickets correspond to the passengers. So. No, so that yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. And so it just uh, I was using that to illustrate that once the connectivity was in place, a lot more possibilities open up. So the fare the fare system is actually you know the transactions of okay you know scanning a card or somebody putting money in there, but then the passenger counters are. They're adjacent, but they're a completely different unit that, you know, uh, can count when a passenger comes on as oh, well like as the at the back door seats. when somebody goes off. And so getting now that information and that data in in real time as well as in huge big data sets allows them to increase their operational efficiency. They know which routes are the busiest and when they're the busiest. Yeah. And then they can plan accordingly by analyzing this data and doing all that machine learning on it so they can they can increase the efficiency of their operations. It just so happens that those two units are serving slightly different purposes and managed by slightly different uh, teams and therefore they wanted them those networks to be actually logically separated. It's really Got awesome. It. Yeah, no, I, I understood the intent of yeah. the illustration. I just yeah. had like, you know, my little questions. Anyways. Yeah. Actually, that customer is <laughs> like, here like too. Where the hell are you counting users? Well, thank you, David. Thank you, Malcolm. And thank you, Tim. Thank this you, Laura. Lovely. Thanks, um, hope everyone enjoys our Cisco Champion Radio. And we're actually in a bunch of different places you can uh, register on podcasts, uh, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, and a bunch of others. Enjoy. Yeah, we're Thanks. everywhere. Yes. <laughs> we just we just expanded a bunch, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank awesome. you. Great. Thanks, Thanks guys. All right. Thank you.